In this sermon series, we're studying the wisdom psalms. These lyrical lessons to live by proclaim practical understanding for our daily lives while pointing us to Jesus, the very embodiment of all wisdom. This content comes from Mercy Village Church in Barbersville, West Virginia, and you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. I promise you that this sermon has almost nothing to do with the United States of America. Although it is the 4th of July, um, I, uh, I didn't even think about what shirt I was wearing, and I wore the shirt of another country, so this is how dense I am. But as I was preparing this sermon this week on unity, I did keep thinking of those days immediately following uh, 9-11, the, uh, the terrorist attacks of 9-11. If you remember... That season, there was a time period, and it didn't last too super long, but there was a time period where America was very united. They were together. It didn't matter your religious background. It didn't matter your race or uh, your gender or your creed or any of that, what tribe or way you kind of, you know, divided uh, ourselves up normally. Everyone was was together. Of course, as you also remember, um, and as you can obviously see now, although it took way shorter than the 20 years that have passed since then, or nearly 20 years that have passed since then, is it didn't last. And and there's a reason for that. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, Some of them are uh, outside of of the Bible, but we could know for a fact that no (coughs) country has the power to bring everlasting Unity. No love of country can do that. No earthly thing can do that. No will of our own can do that. Uh, if we want everlasting, long-term unity, it has to come. It has to come from God. And so, as we close out our series in the Wisdom Psalms, we come to a very short psalm that speaks to that very subject, unity, which is a very rare thing. It is a very precious thing. It is a gift that in its uh, most vivid, everlasting, and truest form can come only from God. There are things that that unify us, but none of them can unify us like God. And so today we will see that. It has been a great journey, though, uh, through these wisdom psalms. We have been on a journey of looking at what the world calls wisdom and what God calls wisdom. And yet again, we will see that that the unity uh, that God calls us to is, uh, can only come through the wisdom of God. What we'll see today is that unity is more precious than we believe. And it's more impossible than we're willing to acknowledge. But in Jesus, it will mark the most random group of saints imaginable. He will bring together people that you would never imagine would come together by his good grace. So, Father, today what we know not, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. One of the things we've seen throughout this series in the Psalms is these kind of titles that you'll see. Now, uh, different Bible translators will put these uh, titles that are just in regular font sometimes, and this one has one in the ESV, said, when brothers dwell in unity, that's the editor's decision to put that in there, 
But in the actual manuscripts, there would also have been a title, and you see it there, almost in like a superscript font, a song of ascents of David. That's inspired. That is part of the original uh, writing of this psalm. It's, it's there. And we learned two nuggets from this. One is that David wrote this, and that matters, because in a little bit we're going to talk about unity in our families, and you're going to know that he's a man who wrote, if you know his story, from a place of having experienced deep unity in certain parts of his family and deep division in other parts of his family. If you remember the name Absalom, that was one of David's sons. He actually stole the throne for a minute from his own father and uh, died in the woods with his long hair kind of hanging from a from a tree. And so you can see that David experienced both unity and division. Also, we see that it's a song of ascents. We said this last week. Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are all songs that would have been sung while people were ascending to the temple to worship to worship God. People who would make that trek, who didn't live in Jerusalem, who were making that trek to Jerusalem as they were uh, traveling there would sing these hymns that we find through here. And the psalm begins this way. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now there's one primary context that this calling, this statement goes out to, and that is the people of God, his family. But there's two other Context, kind of by proxy that we'll see today as well. That there is a call biblically for unity in our families, our family units, not just the family of God, but our family units. And then for us to be people in the world who also strive for unity and peace. But we'll start with the, the primary context, the primary audience that this is intended for, and that's the people of God. Behold how good and pleasant for brothers and sisters in Christ to dwell in unity. Now think about this, and the same thing happened this morning. People from all walks of life gathered together, are gathered together, and we sung with one voice songs about our Savior Jesus. This would have been a song of ascents. It would have been sung on the way up to worship by people of all sorts and types and experiences and backgrounds. And so the song would have been sang in unity. Not only that, but if you think about this, even during a time that would come soon to Israel, uh, where the kingdom would be divided, right? So David was a king of a unified kingdom. Then Solomon, his son, would be a king of that unified kingdom, but then there would be uh, a civil war, a, a split, and Judah would go to the south, two tribes and ten tribes, Israel would go to the north. But this song would continue to be sung. So sometimes it was sung as a testament to a current reality, and sometimes it was sung as a hope for a reality that was not uh, currently being experienced. And so we look at this verse in that same way, and we'll see this today, that we celebrate the unity that we see but we also have hope in times when we don't see unity based on this song. And it's said that it's good and pleasant. In fact, the ESV kind of shortchanges it here, and I love this, this translation, but, but in the Hebrew, more literally, it would be uh, said, Behold, like, look how good and how pleasant. And that might sound like, okay, well, that just makes it more wordy. But the emphasis is you've got to know that it's both of these things equally. It is both good and 
pleasant. And these words carry with them good, meaning this helpfulness, practically helpful, whereas pleasant is more of an enjoyable, happy experience. So it's both practical, practically helpful to the advance of the kingdom of God. It accomplishes the mission of God. But it is also joyful. It is for the joy of God's people. So it's both practical and experientially uh, felt and experienced when brothers uh, dwell in unity, sisters dwell in unity. Jesus believed in unity very deeply. He said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you all agree on the finer points of doctrine. No. If everyone agrees on what type of music is played in our churches, no. If you have love for one another. The testament of the reality of being a follower of Jesus is a desire for unity. That's what he said to his disciples before he died. He prayed before he died these words I do not ask for these only he's done praying for his disciples and he begins to pray for all the future generations of followers of Jesus including us and he says also for those who will believe that's you today Christian in me through their word that they may all be one just as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me the result of brothers and sisters in Jesus loving one another, fighting for unity, working for unity amongst themselves is that people believe that the truth of the gospel is in fact real truth. And so there is an importance for unity. But unity is often lost among the church. We've all at least seen, if not directly experienced splintering instead of multiplying, casting out instead of sending out, separating instead of supporting. Maybe you've been a part of it. Maybe you're even not just the victim of something, but you were one of the perpetrators of that sort of thing. You were involved in the actual dividing. There's grace today, by the way. But we've seen it at least, if not experienced it. What it's like when the people of God divide. When they begin to misrepresent each other's viewpoints and, and assume one another's motives. And the next thing that comes is, is the backbiting and the gossip and the whining and the complaining and the accusing. And sometimes it's the very obvious slinging of mud. And everybody points to that and says, that's terrible. There's also those among us, uh, myself included, who we don't sling the mud because that's unbecoming, but we go around seeding doubt in quiet, private conversations. I've been guilty of that myself. Maybe you have too. And it might not get the bad press that slinging mud does, but it's just as, as bad. I've been in a lot of churches growing up. My dad was, is still in ministry, and it took us to a lot of places, and I've peered into the depths of, of many churches behind the scenes, and I've looked in the mirror at myself, and one of the things that I see 
so prevalently in my own heart and in the hearts of other church leaders and church members is this spirit of competition. That somehow the church has become an opportunity for us to glorify ourselves and our systems and our strategies and our being as a, as a group of people. And so there's this spirit of competition that comes. But if you remember, Jesus encountered this with his disciples. Actually, let me read this first. Because this, yeah, and I skipped over this, but it matters. In Genesis 13, 5 through 7, we see Lot and Abraham. If you remember, Abraham was Lot's uncle. But Lot goes with Abraham as he's traveling to the promised land, and they settle in this area. And it says, Lot, who went with Abraham, he also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. Same Hebrew uh, expression that you see when it says how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. It's the same exact verbiage. It's the first time you see this verbiage in the Word of God. And so it echoes back, that Psalm 133 echoes back to this story of Abraham and Lot not being able to dwell together. You see this division come in, and Psalm 133 is a call to unity instead of division. We'll see that Jesus saw that this spirit of competition that we see in our churches can, can divide us. If you look at Mark chapter 9, Verses 38 through 31, and I'll try to get it up here for us, but if I can't, um, and you have your Bible with you, you can turn there. Mark chapter 9, verses 38. And uh, let me get it here. See how enslaved we've become to the computer? <laughs> this is terrible. Here it is. John said to him, so his disciple, John, comes to him and he's got a story for, for Jesus. He says, we were out around without you, teacher, and we saw someone casting out demons in your name. They were doing it in the name of Jesus. And we tried to stop him. Why? Because he was not following us. Like he didn't have the Mercy Village bumper sticker on the back of his car. So we tried to stop him. It can't possibly be of God, right? If it's not the, the 12. But Jesus said, don't stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward, Jesus squelches the spirit of competition because Jesus knows that the advance of God's kingdom is not a competition. The success of a church or a body of believers is not defined by comparison. You see, the land did not support Abraham and Lot, so they divided. But the richness of God's blessings are infinite. 
So we don't have to claw and scrape to get them for ourselves because there's unlimited amount of them. And so as God blesses other works, as God blesses other churches, as God blesses other people, we rejoice. We've not been shortchanged. God is abundantly blessing others. So reject the spirit of competition. Embrace unity. Fight for it. Pray for it. Value it. It is a good and pleasant thing. I fear we've grown too comfortable, though, with division. That we see it as just a, a fact of life. Might we truly long for unity? Mercy Village Church, may it beat in our hearts a desire for it. And might we work for it, too. Now, note that unity is not the rejection of discernment. Jesus is discerning even in this statement that he makes. He's discerning of whether is it of Jesus or not of Jesus. But what we seem to do oftentimes with our discernment is instead of thinking of discernment as a pathway to unity, we use it as a pathway to division. We start with the idea of how can I prove that this other group of people is wrong? How can I... uh, undermine what it is that they're doing and I'll use my discernment as a tool for division instead of using discernment as a tool for unity you've seen, I mean, I feel like almost every Scooby-Doo movie has a scene like this or whatever, where the where you're like they're in a cave or something and they're trying to get away and they head down this place where there's an exit and the roof crumbles in and oh, can't go that way and so they turn around and they're running the other direction and the ghost pops out and he's in front of them so they can't go that way. And, but you know what they never stop doing? They never stop trying to get out of there. To get to safety. And that's the idea of how we use discernment. We are looking for the ways that we can find unity. And when one way to unity seems impassable, we don't give up and quit. We keep searching and striving to find it among the body of Christ. Now, eventually, we may find that there's, uh, there comes a situation where being together, like Abraham and Lot found, is, is, uh, is not possible. But even notice the way they separate. Abraham does it in a sacrificial way. He says, you take the land that's better. You pick what's good for you. Even in their parting of ways, there's humility, kindness, uh, sacrifice, grace, a desire to maintain whatever peace and unity can remain even in the, the parting of, of ways. And so my point for us today as the church is that we would do two things. That we would both celebrate and propagate unity. So to propagate is, you know, it's like a planting term. My wife does a lot of propagating for house plants. But it's to seed and, and spread, right? To, to see something grow and, and be nurtured and expand. That we would both celebrate and propagate unity. Here's some just personal or some experiences from our from our church. Things we can celebrate. One of our families that attends here was referred here by another local church in the area. And by the pastors of that church. Another of our families was formally sent out by a church that's just up the road from here. Three local churches have written massive checks to us 
Redemption Church, City Church, Huntington Community Church. River Cities has been a friend to us. New Heights Church has been a friend to us. Fellowship Baptist Church has been a friend to us. That's worth celebrating. And not to mention all the, what I would call individual cross-pollination, right? Not from the leadership of local churches, but from the members and attenders of local churches who have supported one another and encouraged one another and, and prayed for one another. We celebrate all that. We celebrate what God is doing in other church bodies, just like these churches and other members of churches have celebrated what God is doing here. Might we be ready to celebrate. Maybe you've been wounded by a previous church. I don't want to deny that. You don't have to pretend like everything's gumdrops and lollipops, but one thing you can do is, is stop and think that even in so much of life is this way, if we're honest. That even in the midst of maybe wrongs being done, there were other ways that God and other people that God had brought into your life to teach you and grow you and change you. And so when you look at your past experiences, are you willing to acknowledge those things too? The good that God did for you in those seasons, the growth that God gave you in those seasons. Again, not denial of reality, but in a, a desire to celebrate that even in the midst of maybe difficult times with a, with a local body of, of Christ, there were still good things that God accomplished. So we celebrate and we also propagate. We had a church plant resident from Redemption Church here twice, Logan. We want to do more of that to show unity amongst the body of Christ. We partnered with... I forget how many churches were over there for the Barbersville Community Outreach at Steel Memorial. But we partnered with them in feeding our community. Uh, there was a family in our church that went and got some Subway, double assist. <laughs> they, they went to Pat McClintock's Subway, which everyone should after. I'm just kidding. But they, uh, they went and got some subs and took them over to Fellowship Baptist Church when they were doing all their, their flood relief stuff. That's us trying to propagate unity. We were there the week leading up to Easter. We partnered with New Heights for a service of lament. We're having the opportunity to speak, and we're just babies. But we want to grow in this. And individually, many of you have kept involving yourself in other church works and other relationships outside of this church, and that's beautiful. I've heard many of us celebrate what God is doing in other churches. Let's continue to do that. And you know what else I've heard, and this is worth noting? I've heard the silence of many of you who probably had the opportunity to say something that may be misheard as slander, but you kept your mouth shut. That is also worthy of celebration. Instead of spreading disunity, right, sometimes your silence can be a way of, of propagating unity. <coughs> But we can't stop. We can't stop working for this. Or we'll grow apathetic to unity. We can't stop talking about it. Or we will grow even resentful to unity. May that never be. We're a young church. Comparison can creep in. Oh, we're not as good as that. Or we don't have this. Or, right? And soon, that can create division. Or, huh, at least we don't do it like that, or at least that's not true about us. And division can 
creep in. May we fight for unity, how good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters in God's family to dwell in unity. We actually are going to stop and pray for this right now. This is a little abnormal, I get it. We're going to stop and pray, and there's a several other. We're going to talk on a couple other topics way quicker than that one, because that's the main point. But we're going to pray for these things today because we believe that God is the one who provides them. So, Carolyn, will you pray for unity amongst our churches? Thank you. God, we thank you for being just a father that cares about the relationships of this church in a random town in Appalachia. And as we celebrate these things that Paul has just mentioned of this new church, we're also aware that we don't value unity like you do. We don't desire it like we should. And so today we just pour out our hearts asking you to, to change our hearts and to give us a desire for unity of the church, the universal church, and our place in it. We ask that you please just help us to see your church us as you do, like a body, like a spiritual house built up of all of these living stones across our community and across our world. We pray that you would help us to see our place in that, but also to just see how precious it is to you and to desire it in a way that makes us want to work toward a greater unity with our brothers and sisters across across this community especially. We just pray that you would help us to find the joy in being in unity in a common salvation that is, that is not common at all, but that's very precious. And we just ask that you help us to find that unity in seeking you and proclaiming uh, the, the glory of you uh, who's changed our lives and who has really brought our world from darkness to light. There's nothing greater that could come to us as a people of God than true unity through you. And we just thank you for that in your son's name today. Amen. Thank you. We're going to pray for two other things real quick here. There is another context. It's, it's implied, not explicit. Explicit context of that first verse is the church. The people of God. But it is also echoing back to a family division between Abraham and, and his nephew Lot. And so I thought a lot this week about the unity of our, our family units. Not just the family of God, but our family unit. And two things I thought of, two hopes that I have for us, and we'll pray in this direction as well. But might our immediate families, like our spouses and our kids, or those immediately with us in our household, might we find unity in Jesus? Might God save our children? Might they become uh, Christians, followers of Jesus? If we have spouses that are lost or parents that are lost and far from God, might, might God save them? And might the depth of our unity as a family unit exemplify the depth of the gospel? 
Might our families be shining lights of mutual submission one to another. Quick repentance. Ready forgiveness. Uh, extending the benefit of the doubt to one another for the sake of, of unity. I need help there personally. I think all of us do as we live in our families. And then might our extended families be more unified for having us in them. Right? And this is a little trickier because not all of us in our extended families share the same faith. And so that common bond of Christ is not always necessarily present in all of our families. But that's fine. Might we speak the truth, but might we speak it only in love? And might we have the wisdom and the love to know when to be silent and when to speak? We're not always a bull in a china shop. Might we be ministers of peace? Long-suffering servants to one another within our families. May we honor our word, be truth-tellers. May we bring calm and joy to our interactions with our families. And might we ooze with gratefulness and humility. Might we be generous with our time and our energies and our uh, resources with our families and so display the love of Jesus. And so my hope for us is that in our immediate families that, that there would be a testifying of the unifying power of Jesus and that in our extended families they would be deeply impacted by seeing that in our lives. And so we want to pray for that now as well. And Kelby has agreed to do that. So. Okay. Uh, what comes to mind is... Um is Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, that says from Paul, speaking to the church about unity and diversity. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit. This is your call to one hope at your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. As also thanking the Lord that we'll be soon be going into Galatians, and how first chapter speaks about how if you uh, receive another gospel, even from heaven, let be accursed, damned, or anathema. But we see today our culture, we see multiple gospels that seem to be promising to yours, to your gospel, Lord. One that is of cancel culture, one that is of, of prosperity gospel, um, others, um, health, wealth gospels coming out, and um, progressive Christianity. But those are not the gospel, and those do not bring true unity, which you have already written in your word and you've spoken in your word maybe people marked with unity uh, for the sake of the gospel maybe willing hearts and soft hearts and that is geared towards righteousness not towards sin or to compromise our sin um, but we would be people that is marked with peace unity with love that people, when they do see us, they see not only unity, but they see that we have love for one another as Christians. Not of this world. Not the love of this world wants to see, but the love that you have shown on display, the love that you have given us, and that is sacrificial, that is agape love. 
And help us, Lord, with your spirit, God, to live out that love, live out the unity which you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Lastly, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Paul said in his letter to the church at Rome, live peaceably with all. And so with this, I have this idea that we would be people of peace and people of unity just in our community in general. That we would seek the shalom, that's the Hebrew word for deep peace that's like in the soul. It's like at a guttural level peace, that we would seek the peace of those around us. Now true shalom, as Kelby just prayed, as God defines it, can only come with the truth of God, the truth of the gospel. But it also won't come from beating it into other people's brains. It won't come from winning some debate that's somehow going to change somebody's heart. This is so hard as Christians because we are people of truth and people of love, and we must be both. And so as we go into the world around us, instead of being misguided prophets with bullhorns and a sign... Might we be loving and peaceful truth-tellers? That our love and our peace doesn't keep us from telling the truth, but our telling of the truth doesn't keep us from being people of kindness and love. That we would be as unyielding on peace and love and humility as we are unyielding about the truth of the gospel. And that's going to require supernatural help from God for us to be people who cling tightly to the truth of God's word while still being tender-hearted to those around us. And so we need God's help with that as well. And so Ricky has agreed to pray for that. God, I just thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for the idea of unity, the realities of unity. And I ask um, for your forgiveness for us, Lord, that all the times that we have uh, maybe created some kind of freak, some kind of havoc um, in relationships and then um, our ideas of what you look like and who you are, Lord. I just pray that in the future you continue to grow us into peacekeepers, uh, peacemakers, Lord, that when we speak of you and that when we share who you are, Lord, that um, we share that with peace. And that we can also um, appreciate differences, Lord. I thank you for creating us to be different, be who we are, uh, making us different people with different ideas and um, different questions, Lord. And I pray that that continues to grow us to become more like you, Lord. Um, I pray that as we run upon differences, and I expect that we'll all see um, these things come to pass in our future, Lord, I just... Uh, pray that you uh, remind us of the sermon, God, that you remind us of unity. You remind us of ways that we can become more like you in unity and in peace, Lord. I pray for peace among the nations. I pray that when we look at people that look different than us, Lord, that we appreciate them, that we see your creativity and we see your love and the difference um, in the color of their skin and what they believe or what they do, Lord. Um, I pray that we look at them in love that we appreciate who they are and we marvel in who you are when we look at them, God. And 
Um, I just pray as we continue to grow as a church, Lord, that we continue to uh, believe in peace and unity and that we uh, continue to carry that with us like an armor, Lord, that we um, carry unity and that when people look at us, they see people that can have hard conversations but bring unity to one another, Lord. And just love you so much and thank you for um, for Paul and for this sermon and uh, just for the idea of unity and the differences of people. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the last two verses just share the beauty of it. That when we have unity, it says, and I love this as a as a bearded man. <laughs> like precious oil on the head which would have been reserved only for the holiest of the priests, the high priest that's why Aaron's name is cited here it would have oil poured onto his head at his anointing it's also traditionally believed that the last time they did that was before exile so it's very possible that the only one who was ever anointed this way was Aaron so it's this rare, unity is this rare holy thing and not only that but it's profuse right it's on his head, it's estimated, and this blew my mind, that nearly six gallons of oil was poured on, can you imagine that? He's like, probably felt like he's going to drown. <laughs> that onto his head, it says, and the, and the ESV doesn't do great here either, it says it, it uh, running down to the collar of his robes, it actually could be translated to the borders of his skirt, that robe that went to the ground, the idea of this verse is that unity is this holy and precious thing that has the power to saturate and spill into all the people of God. And that's beautiful. And then the last verse says, it's like the dew of Hermon, which may be confusing, which falls on the mountain of Zion, for the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. So this is a lesson in the water cycle. In all of northern Israel, you can see, most of northern Israel, you can see in the distance the mountains of Hermon, the border of Syria and Lebanon. They stand higher than any of the mountains in Israel, including the Mount, Mount Zion, the place of worship, but yet that dew is brought from above and it saturates and nourishes the people of God in their land. And so it's this idea that unity, as we've said this whole time, the reason we pray for it instead of necessarily, we work for it too, but prayer is the priority, is because it must come from God. It comes down from above. But without Jesus, our efforts for unity will just be our own personal striving. And here may acknowledge this. You will see pockets of unity outside of Christ. There will be times that people are unified and together. It's not some anomaly, right, that in this temporary sense is only found by Christians, but in its eternal, everlasting, deep-seated sense, it must come through Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. That we, the, you talk about the biggest distance of unity as sinful people, right? It was our sin that would put Jesus on the cross. That's the truth of Scripture. That he would be dying in our place for our sins. You talk about distance. It was because of us, right, that he had to die. You talk about every reason in the world for no unity between us and God, no unity 
between us and Christ, but yet he brings us near through his blood. Because the finished work of Jesus on the cross makes it possible for our sins to be forgiven. If we have any desire for unity, any hope for true unity, it must be in this, for he himself is our peace. There's no peace outside of Jesus, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus accomplishes a level of unity that is so mind-blowing and beyond the scope of any human ability to bring sinners responsible for the death of his own son into relationship with himself through his son. That, I just said it out loud, maybe try saying it out loud, that's insane. That's grace. That's mercy. That's love. And Jesus has reconciled us to himself. Jesus has reconciled us to God through his death, burial, and resurrection. And he will reconcile us to one another. The hope of Revelation is that one day people from every tribe and tongue and nation will stand together worshiping Jesus. That will be perfect unity. But we don't sit and wait for it. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross... We, not in our own power, but in His grace. We, not in our own schemes and ideas, but according to His Word, can live lives that bring unity and peace to the world that we dwell in now. And although it won't ever look as perfect as it does in Revelation, there can be echoes of it. There can be sightings of it. There can be recognition of the unity that can belong to the people of God and one day is promised for all of us. So might we be people of unity. Might we pray for it? Might we prioritize it? And might we be agents of it? That we would celebrate it when we see it and we would strive for it where we can. Unity is more precious than we believe, but it's more impossible than we acknowledge. But in Jesus, it will mark the most random group of saints imaginable, and we testify to that today because we ourselves are a pretty random bunch of saints brought together by Jesus. So might we rejoice in that and might we strive for it in our daily lives. Father, thank you so much that in your word you call us to unity and togetherness Thank you also that you have mercy on us when we fail to love it like you love it. Thank you that you extend grace to us when we fail to strive for it like like you strove for it by giving Jesus. Thank you that there is forgiveness and peace, but not only that, there is empowerment and strength for us to go out of this place even today. Maybe we'll spend time with family. Maybe we'll spend time... Uh, with other brothers and sisters in Christ and we can celebrate and propagate unity even today and in the week to come. By your good grace, we ask this 
It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.